This is episode 158 of the A News Podcast on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on Anarchist News. It's designed to be useful to anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site, anarchistnews.org. This week's reading is the text of Indigenous Action's Anti-Futurist Manifesto. The manifesto is available for printout, which includes pictures and things I can't do with my voice. Rethinking the Apocalypse, an Indigenous Anti-Futurist Manifesto from Indigenous Action. This is a transmission from a future that will not happen from a people who do not exist. The end is near. Or has it come and gone before an ancestor? Why can we imagine the ending of the world, yet not the ending of colonialism? We live the future of a past that is not our own. It is a history of utopian fantasies and apocalyptic idealization. It is a pathogenic global social order of imagined futures built on genocide, enslavement, ecocide, and total ruination. What conclusions are to be realized in a world constructed of bones and empty metaphors? A world of fetishized endings calculated amidst the collective fiction of virulent specters. From religious tomes to fictionalized scientific entertainment, each imagined timeline constructed so predictably, beginning, middle, and ultimately, the end. Inevitably in this narrative, there's a protagonist fighting an enemy other, a generic appropriation of African-Haitian spirituality, a zombie. And, spoiler alert, it's not you or me. So many are eagerly ready to be the lone survivors of the zombie apocalypse. But these are interchangeable metaphors, this zombie-slash-other, this apocalypse. These empty metaphors, this linearity, only exist within the language of nightmares. They are at once part of the apocalyptic imagination and impulse. This way of living, or culture, is one of domination that consumes all for its own benefit. It is an economic and political reordering to fit a reality resting on pillars of competition, ownership, and control in pursuit of profit and permanent exploitation. It professes freedom, yet its foundation is set on land stolen while its very structure is built by stolen lives. It is this very culture that must always have an enemy other, to lay blame, to lay claim, to affront, enslave, and murder. A subhuman enemy that any and all forms of extreme violence are not only permitted, but expected to be put upon. If it doesn't have an immediate other, it meticulously constructs one. This other is not made from fear, but its destruction is compelled by it. This other is constituted from apocalyptic axioms and permanent misery. This othering, this weight code disease, is perhaps best symptomized in its simplest stratagem, that of our silenced remakening. They are dirty, they are unsuited for life, they are unable, they are incapable, they are disposable, they are non-believers, they are unworthy, they are made to benefit us, they hate our freedom, they are undocumented, they are queer, they are black, they are indigenous, they are less than, they are against us, until finally, they are no more. In this constant mantra of violence reframed, it's either you or it's them. It is the other who is sacrificed for an immortal and cancerous continuity. It is the other who is poisoned, who is bombed, who is left quietly beneath the rubble. This way of unbeing, which has infected all aspects of our lives, which is responsible for the annihilation of entire species, the toxification of oceans, air, and earth, 
the clear-cutting and burning of whole forests, mass incarceration, the technological possibility of world-ending warfare, and raising the temperatures on a global scale. This is the deadly politics of capitalism. It's pandemic. An ending that has come before. The physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual invasion of our lands, bodies, and minds to settle and to exploit is colonialism. Ships sailed on poisoned winds and bloodied tides across oceans pushed with a shallow breath and impulse to bondage. Millions upon millions of lives were quietly extinguished before they could name their enemy. 1492, 1918, 2020. Bio-warfare blankets, the slaughter of our relative, the buffalo, the damming of life-giving rivers, the scorching of untarnished earth, the forced marches, the treated imprisonment, coercive education through abuse and violence, the day-to-day post-war, post-genocide, trading post-colonial humiliation of our slow mass suicide on the altar of capitalism, work, income, pay rent, drink, fuck, breed, retire, die, It's on the roadside, it's on sale at Indian markets, serving drinks at the casino, restocking bashas. It's nice Indians behind you. These are the gifts of infesting manifest destinies. This is that futured imaginary our captors would have us perpetuate and be a part of. The merciless imposition of this dead world was driven by an idealized utopia as charnel house. It was for our own good, an act of civilization. Killing the Indian, killing our past and with it our future, saving the man, imposing another past and with it another future. These are the apocalyptic ideals of abusers, racists, and heteropatriarchs, the doctrinal blind faith of those who can only see life through a prism, a fractured kaleidoscope of an endless and total war. It's an apocalyptic that colonizes our imaginations and destroys our past and future simultaneously. It is a struggle to dominate human meaning and all existence. This is the futurism of the colonizer, the capitalist. It is at once every future ever stolen by the plunderer, the warmonger, and the rapist. This has always been about existence and non-existence. It is apocalypse actualized. And with the only certainty being a deathly end, colonialism is a plague. Our ancestors understood that this way of being could not be reasoned or negotiated with that it could not be mitigated or redeemed. They understood that the apocalyptic only exists in absolutes. Our ancestors dreamt against the end of the world. Many worlds have gone before this one. Our traditional histories are tightly woven with the fabric of the birthing and ending of worlds. Through these cataclysms, we have gained many lessons that have shaped who we are and how we are to be with one another. Our ways of being are informed through finding harmony through and from the destruction of worlds, the elliptic, birth, death, rebirth. We have an unknowing of histories upon histories of the world that is part of us. It is the language of the cosmos. It speaks in prophecies long carved in the scars where our ancestors dreamed. It is the ghost dance, the seven fires, the birth of the white buffalo, the seventh generation. It is the five suns. It is written in stone near Oibi and beyond. These prophecies are not just predictive, they have also been diagnostic and instructive. We are the dreamers dreamt by our ancestors. We have traversed all time between the breaths of our dreams. We exist at once with our ancestors and unbirthed generations. Our future is held in our hands. It is our mutuality and interdependence. It is our relative. It is in the creases of our memories, folded gently by our ancestors. 
It is our collective dream time, and it is now, then, tomorrow, yesterday. The anti-colonial imagination isn't a subjective reaction to colonial futurisms. It is anti-settler future. Our life cycles are not linear. Our future exists without time. It is a dream, uncolonized. This is the indigenous anti-future. We are not concerned with how our enemies name their dead world or how they recognize or acknowledge us or these lands. We are not concerned with reworking their ways of managing control or honoring their dead agreements or treaties. They will not be compelled to end the destruction that their world is predicated upon. We do not plead with them to end global warming as it is the conclusion of their apocalyptic imperative and their life is built upon the death of Mother Earth. We bury the right wing and the left wing together in the earth they are so hungry to consume. The conclusion of the ideological war of colonial politics is that indigenous peoples always lose unless we lose ourselves. Capitalists and colonizers will not lead us out of their dead futures. Apocalyptic idealization is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is the linear world ending from within. Apocalyptic logic exists within a spiritual, mental, and emotional dead zone that also cannibalizes itself. It is the dead risen to consume all life. Our world lives when their world ceases to exist. As indigenous anti-futurists, we are the consequence of the history of the colonizer's future. We are the consequence of their war against Mother Earth. We will not allow the specter of the colonizer, the ghosts of the past, to haunt the ruins of this world. We are the actualization of our prophecies. This is the reemergence of the world of cycles. This is our ceremony. Between silent skies, the world breathes again and the fever subsides. The land is quiet, waiting for us to listen. When there are fewer distractions, we go to the place where our ancestors emerged. And there, our voice. <clears throat> there is a song older than worlds here. It heals deeper than the colonizer's blade could ever cut. And there, our voice. We were always healers. This is the first medicine. Colonialism is a plague. Capitalism is pandemic. These systems are anti-life. They will not be compelled to cure themselves. We will not allow these corrupted, sickened systems to recuperate. We will spread. Addendum. In our past, your future, it was the unsystematic nonlinear attacks on vulnerable critical infrastructures such as gas utilities, transportation corridors, power supplies, communication systems, and more that made settler colonialism an impossibility on these lands. Our organizing was cellular. It required no formal movements. Ceremony was and is our liberation. Our liberation was, is ceremony. We honored our sacred teachings, our ancestors and coming generations. We took credit for nothing. We issued no communiques. Our actions were our propaganda. We celebrated the death of leftist solidarity and its myopic apocalyptic romanticism. We demanded nothing from capitalists and colonizers. What's new this week? Raoul Vanagam, Coronavirus, from Anon by Vanagam. A translation by Not Bored, which at least used to be the pseudonym for a terrible anarchist, of a text that touches on a 1997 book on the catastrophic nature of the system's responses to catastrophes. Vanagam reminds us that he's been saying for years that this whole structure has been precarious, and now his predictions slash analysis are obvious for all to see. It's okay when smart old people use poetic language to say, I told you so, right? Quote, 
Our present isn't the confinement that survival imposes on us. It's the opening to all possibilities. It is due to panic that the oligarchic state is forced to adopt measures that even yesterday it decreed were impossible. It is to the call of life and the earth to be restored that we want to respond. Quarantine is good for reflection. Confinement doesn't abolish the presence of the street. It reinvents it. With a grain of salt, let me think that the insurrection of everyday life has unexpected therapeutic virtues." Unquote. War on the state, not on the virus. From Manon, an announcement of a new publication named War on the State, Not on the Virus. Still working on the first issue, apparently, and planning for the next. Quote, we are searching for new stories of the increasing repression, violence, and state control emerging under the guise of saving us from this virus. As well as all the stories of rebels breaking the confinement of prison breaks, attacks on authorities, those denying to be imprisoned at home, and all acts of sabotage against the machinery of death. The next issue, if it exists, will likely be a documentation of police and military violence, checkpoints, lockdowns, and murders, as well as the stories of victories against this new reality from our side." Unquote. We definitely all look forward to those stories. Coronavirus and the myth of institutional failure, from its going down. A post-grad teacher reflects on how even when institutions fail to fulfill the roles that cultural expectations have of them, they succeed at their underlying social purpose, which is keeping us isolated and blaming each other. Quote, Irrational panic buyers and selfish price gougers provide easy and distracting targets for the anger of an anxiety-ridden society seeking catharsis. Yet even anger at the inept quasi-literate tyrant in the White House is ultimately a distraction. Just as the coronavirus makes clear the underlying structures and interests of the society we live under, it also makes another thing quite clear. The interconnectedness that binds us together and is our only way out from this plague of late capitalism. Just as most of us may end up infected with COVID-19, we are all infected and suffering from the disease of modernity." Unquote. Metaphor is blunt object, but okay. Ask a different question, reclaiming autonomy of action during the virus, from North Shore Counter Info. The pieces from North Shore that make it to Ainu seem consistently good, but maybe that's a self-fulfilling criteria. Anyway, this is about how anarchists know better than to allow the state to control the narrative that having our own story is required to combat the panic-inducing, state-sponsored mass media one. Quote, For me, a starting point is that my project as an anarchist is to create the conditions for free and meaningful lives, not just ones that are as long as possible. I want to listen to smart advice without ceding my agency, and I want to respect the autonomy of others. Rather than a moral code to enforce, our virus measures should be based on agreements and boundaries like any other consent practice. We communicate about the measures we choose, we come to agreements, and where agreements aren't possible, we set boundaries that are self-enforceable and don't rely on coercion. We look at the ways access to medical care, class, race, gender, geography, and of course health affect the impact of both the virus and the state's response, and try to see that as a basis for solidarity. A big part of the state's narrative is unity, the idea that we need to come together as a society around a singular good that is for everyone. People like feeling like they're part of a big group effort and like having the sense of contributing through their own small actions. The same kinds of phenomenons that make rebellious social movements possible also enable these moments of mass obedience. We can begin rejecting it by reminding ourselves that the interests of the rich and powerful are fundamentally at odds with our own. Even in a situation where they could get sicken or die too, unlike the opioid crisis or the AIDS epidemic before it, their response to the crisis is unlikely to meet our needs and may even intensify exploitation, unquote. Uh, let's say we'll absolutely intensify exploitation. Fix that for you. 
But aside from that, yep. Anarchy Against Unity, Five Theses on Anti-Fascist Left Unity Today from Isa Marjan. Okay, let's be honest. They had me at Against Unity. That said, this is not the most compelling essay in this pamphlet, as it doesn't provide historical reference, just makes broad statements that, of course, I mostly agree with, but I don't need to be convinced. The lack in this essay could be pretty easily addressed, for example, by adding footnotes that back up each thesis. Freddie Perlman's writings would be an easy place to start, I imagine. At any rate, this is the weakest essay in a new zine called Lawanian Anarchy as Rupture, that is absolutely worth checking out. The zine includes a piece against Marxism, one on a particular identity and the limits of essentialism, and one on the platypus society. I hope to see more from these two authors, and perhaps LBC will make getting hard copies easier, at least in the US. It could happen. The Impetuous Germination of Anarchy from Anarchists Worldwide, an ode to insurrectionary anarchy. It's lovely and a lovely break from the big C. Had a hard time picking which quote to use, but here's this one. <clears throat> Quote, diversity is life and uniformity is death. Repeat the ominous M. Bakunin as if it were a psalm. Winking sympathetically this time, we could well accompany his preaching. But when we are flooded with infinite definitions from academia that are intended to pierce, confuse, and compartmentalize instead of fuse, we tell them that anarcho-feminism slash trade unionism slash veganism slash primitivism slash etc. does not convince us or recruit us. And neither does the philo-democrat hook anti-capitalist slash anti-fascist. We are anarchists. Let's go back to biting like wolves, unquote. What's not to love? I mean, wolves do a lot more than bite, but you know. An anarchist perspective on the coronavirus pandemic from Contra Info, translated by anarchists worldwide. A brief overview of some of the international responses to COVID-19, including the funniest one-liner that I have seen so far about the US policy, and ending with the following encouragement. Quote, we will now outline some measures that we consider worthy of generalization, more of an inspiration than a program. Looting and organized redistribution of basic goods, the use of student occupations as collection centers, shelters for homeless people, and of course, street fighters. The boycott of any form of distance work or study so that the quarantine becomes a general strike. The immediate release of all prisoners as a central demand. Mass evasion in private clinics, free medical care for all. Rent strike, taking over empty houses. The hood is the best mask, evade the isolation of capital, deny immunity as a police device. The crisis is an opportunity, raise your fist and attack." Unquote. Anarchy in Albion, building utopia in the heart of Yorkshire from Freedom News UK. An interesting-ish history lesson on Christian communes and intentional communities in the UK, which took their lead from Leo Tolstoy, rife with idyllic imagery such as this, quote, in fact, the commune stands in perfect contrast to the farm fields which surround it. It is now covered in fruit trees with a perfect balance of wild areas and areas dedicated to growing food. The biodiversity is such that a study of plant galls conducted by Sheffield University a few years ago found it to be one of the most diverse sites in the region, even more biodiverse than the nearby nature reserve. The commune had been run on organic, permaculture, agroecological principles long before these terms were invented, and it remains a perfect illustration of sustainable living." Unquote. At one point during a trip to visit Tolstoy, the author describes two communers being, quote, stranded in Russia for six months, during which time Bertie tried to kill Tom, unquote. <laughs> Still not sure if that was meant literally or figuratively. <laughs> hmm. That's awesome. The Plague and the Fire, from plagueandfire.noblogs.org. Announcing a new site in multiple languages and encouraging international conversations about international... What? 
why, what did I write? Announcing a new site in multiple languages and encouraging international conversations um, on responses to this first doozy of a step toward full economic and ecological collapse. Quote, this site was born from the desire to share reflections and materials on the consequences of this epidemic. Nurture a discussion that allows you to compare the critical tools that give everyone the opportunity to act in the present. Without any more certainties, choosing to continue following the path of obedience can only offer the same uncertainties offered by its desertion, by the risky choice of the path that leads to revolt. An untracked path that leaves centuries of domination behind to explore a future of liberation. To trace this path, or at least to try to follow it, it is necessary to open a debate, continually discuss how dominion reacts to the evolution of events, understand how to hit it, and how to support the riots that will erupt. Unquote. Ten Premises for a Pandemic by Ian Allen Paul. This doesn't provide much new in the reflections on the big change slash continuity that we're in the middle of, but what I did appreciate about it was the way it referenced emotional language against those who usually use it on us. <clears throat> Quote, As we struggle to organize care, capitalism may very well rely upon all of our compassion and solidarity to survive the pandemic before returning at full force and plunging us all into only more intense states of precarity, into more uncaring forms of work, and into deeper and deeper debt. Unquote. On the face of it, this point is about how things that get us through this phase of global shifting are also likely to make things worse in the long run. But troubling the context of such capital G good things as compassion and solidarity is something I generally find useful. As with the best of the pieces on the plague, this one encourages us to use our current situation as a poke to our imagination, creativity, and agency. Arguably, we didn't really need a plague for that, but maybe we did. Here we are. Word from Eric amid the COVID-19 outbreak from supporteriking.org. So, of course, the prison population is one of those test places where the state and corporations test out what they can do to people who have been othered. And Eric's support is giving us an inside view on what that looks like, at least for one prison. Many there are in isolation. There is not care being taken with sick guards, no legal visits for anyone, etc. People, including Eric, are still getting mail, and it might work to send him books. So give it a try. Rethinking the Apocalypse, an Indigenous Anti-Futurist Manifesto from Indigenous Action. This is what was read in lieu of an editorial this week. Nuff said. Accidental Death of an Anarchist, a True Life Poket Authority from Little Local Paper, The Press Democrat. This appears to be an announcement for the production of the titular play in Sebastopol, California, the opening of which has been delayed until May. Quote, the play, opening next week at Main Stage West in Sebastopol, is inspired by an actual death. Italian rail worker and anarchist Giuseppe Pinelli died in December 1969 under mysterious circumstances while in custody at a police station in Milan, Italy. Pinelli was accused of a notorious Piazza Fontana bombing three days earlier that killed 16 people, but he was cleared of the charges after he died, unquote. I guess they've updated some portions of the play, for example, slipping Trump's name in at the various points, which probably says more than I could about the production. Stay at fucking home from Freedom News UK. Someone is scared and wants people to respond to the plague like good citizens. People do get scared. No one wants to watch, much less cause, the excruciating death of someone they care about, and there's lots of unknowns about this virus even now. That said, not sure why this story was posted to an anarchist site, even Freedom UK, as it exhibits no skepticism at all about the message from the state, and concedes to the simple polarity of do what the state says or you're selfish. But again, it was posted on Freedom News UK. Did I say that already? 
on the coronavirus from Japanese blog Hapax, translated by Anarchist News. A short but educated blog entry that references James Scott, Deleuze and Guattari, Foucault, and ends with the reflection that constructions fail because of their inherent weaknesses. Quote, according to Ishikawa Yoshimasa, what distinguishes things this time is the extreme equilibrium between the pathology of the epidemic itself and the reaction to it. What laid the grounds for this was the maximizing of azensei, security, in society, the transformation into a control society. Thus, an unbelievable spectacle has arrived in which the state itself is halting production, consumption, and exchange. Right now, society is collapsing society. Civilization is collapsing civilization." Unquote. Real estate companies attacked from anarchists worldwide. A brief communique from some folks in Germany who attack some real estate companies, or, well, the cars of some real estate companies. Listing out the various authoritarian responses to the current pandemic, this piece picks up a theme common to a lot of coronavirus discussions. Quote, an intensification of the technological attack, the switch to web-based homework, the relocation of cultural encounters such as concerts or parties to virtual spaces, online school lessons, the displacement of retail stores by online commerce, and the analysis of mobile phone data for biopolitical population control, to name just a few examples, unquote. Don't forget, kids, that that phone is the snitch in your pocket, and as we all know, snitches get a stitches. Arson attacks against Bosch Security and Dr. House Solutions from Anarchists Worldwide. Another corona-inspired action. Those Germans really hate cars, apparently. Quote, there is no curfew yet, but while during the day people in parks and squares catch the first warm rays of sunshine, the streets are quiet, and after dusk the streets seem to be empty. Life has withdrawn into the supposed private sphere. Social contacts are largely interrupted. Communication is shifting to digital. In public space, the opinion dictated from above now prevails. Open meetings, demonstrations, almost every exchange and resistance begins to become invisible. A dystopia." Unquote. Report from Greece on the coronavirus dystopian reality from anarchists worldwide. This is unremitting bad news from the dearth of healthcare workers and clinics to the imposition of new restrictions to the hiring of private security personnel to back up the cops against immigrants, the creation of massive detention centers, aka prisons for immigrants, increased exploitation of workers, and so on. Most of these things are also going on in the U.S. to a somewhat milder degree. Quote, after dark, there are more cops in the streets than ordinary people. If there's going to be a curfew this weekend or next week, it will be very difficult for comrades who are still active to get together or put their banners, stickers, etc. over the city of Athens." Unquote. Huh. Hmm. Audio and video. We talked with a doctor about coronavirus. 48 minutes from IGD. Interview with, quote, Frank, an ER doctor in the Northeast, who also is involved with the autonomous anti-capitalist space, Woodbine, about the coronavirus, how medical workers are dealing with the stress of the pandemic, the state's response to the outbreak, and how we can respond, unquote. Anyway, this episode is a great example of the boring response some anarchists are having to coronavirus, pointing out the various ways that the system is inefficient and doesn't live up to its promises of health and security. I would have thought that as anarchists, we still wouldn't want the system even if it worked well. But what do I know? Anyway, Frank does bring up a nice point at the end, mentioning that the severing and warping of people's relationships with land is a big driver of the virus, but that only gets a few seconds. Gaia is making a sad face. Anya on isolation, loneliness, and COVID-19. 58 minutes from Live Like the World is Dying. This is the fourth episode, but first posted to A News, of Margaret Killjoy's latest podcast. Say what you will about some of their politics, but Margaret is an absolute beast when it comes to content. 
Guest Anya is a member of the Jane Addams Collective, which is, quote, a small anarchist collective made up of social workers, psychologists, and others who believe that in order to have a true and sustainable culture of resistance, we must be able to maintain our mental health, unquote. This episode is, I imagine, pretty typical of anarchist conversations around mental health, discussing anxiety, trauma, and how to deal with the shit this world in general and the pandemic specifically heaps on us. I don't want to just dismiss the language used out of hand. I know it speaks to a lot of people's experience, even if not my own, but I do wonder what a more radical conversation around this topic would sound like stripped of medicalization. Pandemic special one, imagine a world so forgiving. 26 minutes from We Will Remember Freedom. More content from a self-isolated Margaret Kiljoy, this time a reading of their 2015 science fiction short. Margaret mentions that this story was part of a series of stories they wrote in 2015 responding to nihilism, which seems a little strange as this only really comes into play through the story's antagonist who sees humans as a cancer. Definitely not nihilism, but a closer reading is usually a good idea. I get drunk, pissed, shit-faced, and I don't care. Got snow off that hood in my hand, and I don't care. Dead pop stars on the TV. Dead pop stars on the TV. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written and read by Chisel and Greg. Uh, the reading was by Chisel from Indigenous Action. To learn more, anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at some point from littleblackcard.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the IRC chat room linked on news. You never, never cared about me. You never, never cared about me. You never, never, never loved me.